Black History Month programming sponsored by Representative Steve Casey, asking you to join him in celebrating the many different musical movements created and perfected by black artists. From jazz and rhythm and blues to soul, and we are celebrating Black History Month with the sound of black artistry. Representative Steve Casey, District 50, remembering and celebrating Black History Month through music. Today's program also brought to you by Chamberlain Business Accounting, 601 Great Road, North Smithfield. The accountant for your current business or your new startup business. Call 765-1235 for small business accounting as well as payroll and tax services to help you achieve your desired financial and business results. Again, call this number, 765-1235 for Chamberlain Business Accounting, where it all adds up. 601 Great Road, North Smithfield, proudly serving Rhode Island and Southern Massachusetts. Well, hello and welcome to WNRI's Black History Month special, the 50 most influential black music artists of all time. My name's Jeff Gamash. If you're just joining us on the countdown today, we'll be counting down number 30 through 21. Remember, if you miss any of our countdown, just go to WNRI.com. You'll see the link for our Black History Month special, and you can get caught up to speed on any edition you may miss. Today, we start out at number 30. Run DMC, an American hip-hop group from Hollis, Queens, New York, founded in 1983 by Joseph Simmons, Run, Daryl McDaniels, DMC, and the late Jason Mizell, Jam Master J. The group was among the first to highlight the importance of the MC and DJ relationship. Run DMC was managed by Russell Simmons, the brother of the group's member Run, and was co-founder of Def Jam, one of the most successful black-owned record companies. Run DMC appeared in their signature bowler hats, black leather jackets, unlaced Adidas athletic shoes, heavy gold chains, and black denim pants, establishing an iconic look for the hip urban youth. And an endorsement deal with Adidas was groundbreaking, showing that more than just athletes could prove valuable to move merchandise. With the release of Run DMC in 1984, Run DMC became the first hip-hop group to achieve a gold record, following that with the certified platinum record King of Rock in 1985. Another first for hip-hop, and they weren't done yet, as in 1986, Raising Hell would become the first multi-platinum hip-hop record. Run DMC's cover of Walk This Way, featuring Steven Tyler and Joe Perry, charted higher on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, than the Aerosmith original version, peaking at number four. It became one of the best-known songs in both hip-hop and rock and roll. This groundbreaking recording also brought rap music into the homes of white America. Run DMC was the first hip-hop act to have their music videos broadcast on MTV, appear on American Bandstand, be on the cover of Rolling Stone, perform at Live Aid, and be nominated for a Grammy Award. In 2004, Rolling Stone ranked Run DMC at number 48 on its list of 100 greatest artist of all time. In 2007, they were named the greatest hip-hop group of all time by MTV, greatest hip-hop artist of all time by VH1, and in 2009, Run DMC became the second hip-hop group to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 2016, the group received the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, and in 2018, Raising Hell was inducted into the National Recording Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, and artistically significant. Let's go back to 1986 and relive the big hit Walk This Way, merging rap and rock and roll with our number 30 artist, Run DMC. 
Number 29, it's Lead Belly, born Hudy William Ledbetter on January 23rd, 1888. He was an American folk and blues singer, musician, and songwriter, notable for his strong vocals and his 12-string guitar playing. And the folk standards he introduced as well, including his renditions of Goodnight Irene, Midnight Special, and Black Betty. Lead Belly usually played the 12-string guitar, but he also played the piano, mandolin, harmonica, violin, and wind jammer. And some of his recordings, he'd also just sing while clapping his hands or stopping his feet. Lead Belly's songs covered a wide range of genres and topics, including gospel music, blues about women, liquor, prison life, and racism, as well as folk songs about cowboys, prison work, sailors, cattle herding, and dancing. Lead Belly was posthumously inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1988 and the Louisiana Music Hall of Fame in 2008. Let's go back to 1934 and listen to a recording from the session from the Angola Penitentiary. It's Midnight Special and today's 29th artist on our Top 50 Countdown, Lead Belly. Yana Kama Miserose But I Table, be the same damn thing, nice and fork on the table. 
do nothing in my pain. Never said a thing about it. Have a trouble with the man. Let the midnight special shine a light on me. Let the midnight special shine a ever-loving light on me. Well, I went to the nation and the territory. Well, I thought about a girl I love lived in Mexico. Let the midnight special shine a light on me. Let the midnight special shine a ever-loving light on me. If you ever, ever go to Houston, boys, you better walk right. And you better not squabble. And you better not fight. Bass and Bronco will arrest you. Payton and Boone will take you down. You're getting a bitch about a dollar. And a change of rebound. Let a midnight special shine a light on me. Let the midnight special shine a ever-loving light on me. Well, jumping little Judy, she was a mighty fine girl. Well, Judy brought jumping to this whole round world where she brought it in the morning. Just a wild for day, she brought me the news that my wife was dead and that started me to grieving. And hollering and crying Then I begin to worry About a very long time Let the midnight special Shine a light on me Let the midnight special Shine a ever-loving light on me at number 28, it's Nat King Cole, considered by many to be the greatest jazz singer of all time. Born Nathaniel Adams Coles in March of 1919 out in Montgomery, Alabama. Recorded over 100 songs that became hits on the pop charts. His trio was the model for small jazz ensembles that would follow. And until his death in 1965, Nat King Cole was an active and visible participant in the civil rights movement. But as far as the music, it's the Nat King Cole Trio. Songs that became a staple in what's called the American Songbook. Let's listen in to one of those songs from one of his original recordings. It's the Nat King Cole Trio coming in at number 28 today with their song, Too Marvelous for Words. You're just too marvelous, too marvelous for words like glorious. Glamorous and that old standby amorous You're just too wonderful I'll never find the words That tell enough Spell enough I mean they just aren't swell enough You're much too much And just too very, very To ever be in Webster's Dictionary And so I'm borrowing A love song from the birds To tell you that you're marvelous Too marvelous words Thank you. 
And just two very, very to L.B. In Webster's Dictionary And so I'm borrowing A love song from the birds To tell you that you're marvelous Too marvelous for words And now a Black History Month biography on Harriet Tubman. Brought to you by State Representative District 50, Steve Casey. As one of the most well-known conductors of the Underground Railroad, Harriet Tubman rescued more than 300 slaves over the span of 11 years. Harriet Tubman was one of the most remarkable women in American history. Born a slave in the early 1820s, Araminta Ross changed her name to Harriet Tubman after marrying a free black man named John Tubman around 1844. As a slave, Harriet Tubman was repeatedly whipped. She also later was hit by a lead weight, mistakenly. But that lead weight caused her to experience narcolepsy for the rest of her life. Fearing that she would be sold away from her family in 1849, Tubman fled to Philadelphia using an informal but well-organized network known as the Underground Railroad. She felt that she would be sold away because she was viewed as a sickly person. She and two of her brothers ran away and the brothers decided they would return to the plantation. And she, instead of abandoning them, turned around, went back with them to the plantation and then turned around and escaped a second time by herself. Using her own money, Tubman made separate journeys to rescue her sister and brother. And in 1851, Tubman guided a group of 11 fugitives north, earning her the nickname Moses. Harriet Tubman was called the Moses of her people, largely because she was so successful in leading slaves out of slavery, out of the south, into the north, which symbolically is known as the Promised Land. Moses, the figure from the Bible, leading his chosen people, Tubman took on that kind of mythic quality. In 1858, Tubman assisted abolitionist John Brown in recruiting men for the raid on Harper's Ferry. During the Civil War, Tubman became a Union Army Scout, a nurse, and led an armed expedition to liberate more than 700 slaves. Harriet Tubman was an incredibly brave African-American woman. She sacrificed her own life and she freed probably over a thousand people. And she said she could have freed a lot more if they had known they actually were slaves. Although Tubman was widely well-respected during her lifetime, she was impoverished and died of pneumonia in 1913. Tubman was buried with military honors and was later named an American hero by President Barack Obama. Harriet Tubman is one of the amazing women in history. She not only brought these slaves out, but she never lost a life. This Black History Month programming is sponsored by Representative Steve Casey, reminding you that Black artists evolved from blues and jazz in the 1940s to soul music in the 1950s. From soul music came Motown and then hip-hop, disco, and rap. Artists like Duke Ellington paved the way for the Supremes, Jimi Hendrix, Prince, and Michael Jackson. Representative Steve Casey celebrating Black History Month through Black Musical Excellence. Today's program also brought to you by 
Chamberlain Business Accounting, 601 Great Road, North Smithfield. The accountant for your current business or your new startup business. Call 765-1235 for small business accounting as well as payroll and tax services to help you achieve your desired financial and business results. Again, call this number, 765-1235 for Chamberlain Business Accounting, where it all adds up. 601 Great Road, North Smithfield, proudly serving Rhode Island and Southern Massachusetts. You're listening to WNRI's Black History Month special, the 50 most influential black music artists of all time. My name's Jeff Gamash, and we are now at number 27. It's The Supremes, an American female singing group and premier act of Motown Records during the 1960s. The Supremes were the most commercially successful of all of Motown's acts and are to date America's most successful vocal group with 12 number one singles on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. Florence Ballad, Mary Wilson, Diana Ross, and Betty McGlone all were the original group members. And they were all from the Brewster Douglas Public Housing Project in Detroit. Barbara Martin replaced McGlowan in 1960, and then the group signed with Motown the following year as the Supremes. In 1967, Motown renamed the group Diana Ross and the Supremes. By 1965, the Supremes were international stars, touring the world and becoming almost as popular abroad as they were in the U.S. By the end of 1966, their number one hits included I Hear a Symphony, You Can't Hurry Love, You Keep Me Hanging On. That year, the group also released The Supremes A Go-Go, which became the first album by an all-female group to reach number one on the U.S. Billboard 200. Knock the Beatles' revolver out of the top spot. The Supremes broke down racial barriers as one of the first black musical acts to appear regularly on television programs such as Hullabaloo, The Hollywood Palace, The Delarice Show, and most notably, The Ed Sullivan Show, which they made 17 appearances. Let's go back to one of their number one songs. One of five consecutive number ones, it's their biggest, spent four weeks at number one. Here's Baby Love by our number 27 artist, The Supremes. Kiss. 
At number 26, it's Bessie Smith. She was the most popular female blues singer of the 1920s and 30s. Bessie Smith was born in 1894 in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Her parents died when she was young, and she and her siblings survived by performing on the street corners for pennies. Her successful recording career with Columbia Records began in the 1920s, but her performing career was cut short by a car crash that took her life at the age of 43. Both sides of her first record, which was Downhearted Blues, backed with Gulf Coast Blues, were both hits. As her popularity increased, Smith became a headliner and rose to become its top attraction in the 1920s, according to Columbia's publicity department, and they nicknamed her Queen of the Blues. However, national press upgraded her title to Empress of the Blues. Her music stressed independence, fearlessness, and sexual freedom. She made 160 recordings for Columbia, often accompanied by the finest musicians of the day, folks like Louis Armstrong. A number of Smith's recordings, such as Alexander's Ragtime Band with the Dorsey Brothers Orchestra in 1927, quickly became among the best-selling records of their release years. Let's listen to that old-time recording from 1927. Here's number 26 on our countdown, Bessie Smith with Alexander's Ragtime Band. Oh, my honey, oh, my honey, you better hurry and let's go down there. Ain't you going, ain't you going to that little man, raggy little man? Oh, honey, oh, honey, let me take you to Alexander, Grand Sand, Brad Sand. Ain't you coming along? Come on in here, come on in here, Alexander, Ragtime Band. Let me take you by the hand 
a Black History Month biography on Muhammad Ali. Brought to you by State Representative District 50, Steve Casey. I predict that he will go in eight to prove that I am great. And if he want to go to heaven, I'll get him in seven. He'll be in a worse of fix if I cut it to six. And if he keeps talking jive, I'll cut it to five. Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr. was born on January 17, 1942 in Louisville, Kentucky. He was 12 when he was introduced to boxing by policeman and boxing coach Joe E. Martin. He soon began to train and participated in several amateur boxing matches. After winning several Golden Gloves titles, Clay won the light heavyweight gold medal in the 1960 Summer Olympics. Shortly thereafter, he won his first professional fight against Fayetteville Police Chief Tunney Huntsacker and Angelo Dundee became his trainer. Throughout the early 1960s, Clay began to attract attention with his frequent victories and regular knockouts. During this period, he defeated notable boxers such as Doug Jones, Henry Cooper, and Archie Moore. He also developed a fighting style that depended on speed, especially that of his feet. In 1964, Clay had an unexpected victory against the current heavyweight champion, Sonny Liston. He's too ugly to be the world's champ. The world's champ should be pretty like me. At 22, he became the youngest boxer to take the world heavyweight title from the reigning champ. I am the king of the world. Hold it, hold it, hold I'm it. Pretty. Hold it, you're not that pretty. I'm a bad man. Wait, wait. I took up the world. I took up the world. Soon after, Clay announced his membership to the Nation of Islam and adopted the name Muhammad Ali. That same year, Ali refused to serve in the U.S. Army, and this asserted his status as a conscientious objector to the Vietnam War. The next year, he won a rematch with Liston by knockout and fought Floyd Patterson in the second defense of his title. He won several more bouts against opponents such as George Tavallo, Brian London, and Carl Mildenberger. There were a few other notable fights during this time. These included the 1966 victory against Cleveland Big Cat Williams, which drew an indoor world record of over 35,000 fans. Another was his brutal fight against Ernie Terrell in 1967. Later that year, Ali was found guilty of refusing induction into the army. He was subsequently stripped of his boxing title and had his professional license suspended. Whatever the punishment, whatever the persecution is for standing up for my religious beliefs, even if it means facing machine gun fire that day, I will face it before denouncing Elijah Muhammad and the religion of Islam. I'm ready to die. As the years went by, opposition to the war began to grow. While his case was still on appeal, certain states and boxing commissions allowed Ali to fight. Despite winning a few bouts in 1970, Ali experienced his first professional loss against reigning heavyweight champion Joe Frazier in 1971. The highly anticipated match came to be known as the fight of the century. His conviction was reversed a few months later, and he returned to the ring. After a series of exhibition matches known as the Muhammad Ali Boxing Show, as well as a few other fights, Ali defeated Frazier in a 1974 rematch. 
Next up was the Don King-promoted fight, the Rumble in the Jungle. Ali tired out his much younger opponent George Foreman through the use of a boxing style that came to be known as the rope-a-dope strategy. The surprising win allowed Ali to reclaim the title of heavyweight champion of the world. Following bouts against Chuck Wepner, Ron Lyle and Joe Bugner, Ali took on Frazier for the third time in 1975. The highly anticipated Don King-promoted fight, dubbed the Thrilla in Manila, resulted in Ali's second victory against Frazier. The next year, Ali won a number of bouts against fighters such as Jimmy Young and Richard Dunn. He then fought an exhibition match against wrestler and martial artist Antonio Inoki and won his third fight against Ken Norton. After several victories the next year, Ali fought two matches against 1976 Olympic champion Leon Spinks in 1978. He lost the heavyweight title in the first fight, but won it back in a rematch later that year. This victory made him boxing's first three-time heavyweight champion. After losing to Larry Holmes in 1980, Ali participated in his final fight in 1981. He was defeated by the top heavyweight contender at the time, Trevor Burbick. Though he was diagnosed with Parkinson's syndrome a few years later, Ali remained active in civic and humanitarian projects following his retirement. Once nicknamed the greatest, Muhammad Ali defeated every top heavyweight in his generation and his story has inspired millions. This Black History Month programming is sponsored by Representative Steve Casey, reminding you that black artists evolved from blues and jazz in the 1940s to soul music in the 1950s. From soul music came Motown and then hip-hop, disco, and rap. Artists like Duke Ellington paved the way for the Supremes, Jimi Hendrix, Prince, and Michael Jackson. Representative Steve Casey celebrating Black History Month through black musical excellence. Today's program also brought to you by Chamberlain Business Accounting, 601 Great Road, North Smithfield. The accountant for your current business or your new startup business. Call 765-1235 for small business accounting as well as payroll and tax services to help you achieve your desired financial and business results. Again, call this number, 765-1235 for Chamberlain Business Accounting, where it all adds up. 601 Great Road, North Smithfield, proudly serving Rhode Island and Southern Massachusetts. Welcome back to WNRI's Black History Month program, the 50 most influential black music artists of all time. My name's Jeff Gamash. In case you missed our countdown today, here's what you missed. We started at number 30 with Run DMC, number 29, Lead Belly, number 28, Nat King Cole, number 27, The Supremes, and number 26, Bessie Smith. And that leads us to today's honorable mention, Paul Robeson. Born Paul Leroy Robeson in 1898. He was an American-based baritone concert artist, stage, and film actor who became famous both for his cultural accomplishments and for his political activism. Between 1925 and 1961, Robeson recorded and released some 276 songs, many of which were recorded several times. First of these were the Spirituals of 1925. 
Robinson's career catalog spans many styles, including Americana, popular standards, classical music, as well as European folk songs, political songs, poetry, and even spoken excerpts from plays. Robeson performed in Britain in a touring melodrama Voodoo in 1922 and in Emperor Jones in 1925, while scoring a major success in the London premiere of Showboat in 1928. He also gained attention in the film production of Showboat in 1936 and other films such as Sanders of the River in 35 and The Proud Valley of 1940. During this period, Robeson advocated for the Spanish Republic during the Spanish Civil War and became active in the Council on African Affairs while supporting their efforts to gain colonized African countries' independence from European colonial rule. Returning to the United States in 1939 during World War II, Robeson supported the American and Allied war efforts. However, his history of supporting civil rights causes and pro-Soviet policies brought scrutiny from the FBI. After the war ended, the Council on African Affairs was placed on the Attorney General's list of subversive organizations, and Robeson was investigated during the age of McCarthyism. Due to his decision not to recant his public advocacy, he was denied a passport by the U.S. State Department, and his income plummeted. He moved to Harlem, and from 1950 to 1955 published a periodical called Freedom, which was critical of the United States policies. His right to travel was eventually restored in 1958. But it's the performance of Showboat today we're going to listen to, and that iconic song Paul Robeson became infamous with, Old Man River. There's an old man called the Mississippi, that's the old man that I'd like to be. What does he care if the world's got troubles? What does he care if the land ain't free? Don't look up and don't look down, you don't just make the white walls frown. Bend your knees and bow your head and pull that rope on till you're dead. Let me go away from the Mississippi. Let me go away from the white man boss. Show me that stream called the River Jordan. That's the old stream that I long to cross. Old Man River, that old man river, he must know something, but don't say nothing. He just Thank you. 
lift that veil, you get a little drunk and your land's in jail. I get weary and sick of trying. I'm tired of living and Back to the countdown. At number 25, it's Sam Cooke, the ultimate soul voice. Few black artists of the 1950s would be as popular as Sam Cooke, who used his success to fight for equality and the ability for black artists to perform in front of integrated audiences and gain control of their music from the recording industry. Sam Cooke was born in Mississippi back in January of 1931, an American singer, songwriter, and entrepreneur. Cooke is commonly referred to as the King of Soul. He relocated to Chicago with his family at a young age, where he began singing as a child and joined the Soul Stirrers as lead singer in the 1950s. Going solo in 1957, Cook released a string of hit songs, including You Send Me, A Change Is Gonna Come, Cupid, Wonderful World, Chain Gang, Twisting the Night Away, Bring It On Home to Me, and Good Times. During his eight-year career, Cook released 29 singles that charted in the top 40 of the Billboard Pop Singles chart. In 1986, Cook was inducted as a charter member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In 87, inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. 89, inducted a second time into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when the Soul Stirrers were inducted. And on February 1994, Sam Sam Cook received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Although Cook never won a Grammy Award, he received the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1999. In 2004, Rolling Stone ranked Cook 16th on its list of 100 greatest artists of all time, and in 2008, named the fourth greatest singer of all time by Rolling Stone magazine. Let's go back and listen to one of his groundbreaking performances. It's his 1965 Top 40 hit. A change is going to come. Number 25 on today's countdown, here's Sam Cooke. I was born by the river In a little tent Oh, and just like the river I've been running Ever since It's been a long A long time coming But I know change gonna come Oh, yes it will It's been too hard living But I'm afraid to die Cause I don't know what's up there Beyond the sky It's been a long A long time coming, but I know a change gonna come, oh yes it will, I go to the movie, and I go downtown, 
telling me don't hang around. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes it will. Then I go to my brother And I say, brother, help me please But he winds up knocking me At number 24, it's W.C. Handy. Handy did not invent the blues, but it was his early songs that first used the word blues, like St. Louis Blues, Snake Blues, and Muscle Shoals Blues, just to name a few. This would become the genre's first published songs to reach a national audience. William Christopher Handy was born in 1873. He was a fabulous musician, a trumpet player, and a composer who referred to himself as the father of the blues. In May of 1969, the United States Postal Service issued a commemorative stamp in his honor, and he was inducted in the National Academy of Popular Music Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1970. Also inducted into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1983. An inductee into the Alabama Jazz Hall of Fame in 85, and a 1993 inductee to the Alabama Music Hall of Fame with the Lifework Award for Performing Achievement. He received a Grammy Trustees Award for Lifetime Achievement in 1993, inciting 2003 as the centennial anniversary of when W.C. Handy composed the first blues music. The United States Senate in 2003 passed a resolution declaring the year beginning February 1st as the year of the blues. Blues Music Award was known as the W.C. Handy Award until the name changed in 2006. And it was his autobiography, Father of the Blues, in 2017 that was inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame in the category of Classics of Blues Literature. This is an old recording. Here it is. W.C. Handy, St. Louis Blues. <laughs>
And now a Black History Month biography on Tyra Banks. Brought to you by State Representative District 50, Steve Casey. Tyra Banks was born in Inglewood, California in 1973. As a tall, skinny child, Tyra felt very little like a runway model. By the time high school was over, her awkward years were behind her. She became so attractive that her mom Carolyn shot her portfolio and Tyra began shopping it around. Initially, breaking into the modeling business proved difficult because of a lack of interest in black models. Tyra focused on her studies and enrolled in Loyola Marymount University. Before she had a chance to sit in on her freshman class, she was spotted by a modeling scout who invited her to Paris. After a shaky start, she began to feel more comfortable on the runway and got 25 bookings within a week. By 1993, Tyra was having tremendous success, but one fellow model was not a fan. Naomi Campbell wasn't too happy about all the new Naomi Campbell talk she was hearing and told Carl Lagerfeld to ban the new kid in town from Chanel Runways. Tyra couldn't understand this. Why should there be only one black superstar model? While thriving in the modeling industry, she found romance with Boys in the Hood director John Singleton. Always very business savvy, Tyra started eyeing her career off the runway while she was on top of her game. She appeared in a recurring role on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, as well as some feature films. In 1997, the 24-year-old model made history. Tyra was the first African-American woman to pose by herself on the cover of Sports Illustrated's famed swimsuit issue. And so, you know, that was a huge accomplishment. After suffering through her own insecurity about her appearance as a young girl, Tyra looked to help young girls with her 1998 book, Tyra's Beauty, Inside Out. And in 2001, by opening up the T-Zone in Southern California, aimed at improving the self-esteem of young women. Tyra's really inspired a lot of women and changed the perspective of a lot of men as to what our expectations for beauty should be. That the airbrushed, Botoxed, plastic surgeried ideal is out. It's over. I mean, it's time to accept real bodies, real women's bodies, real flaws. I mean, sort of the ups and downs, all the aspects. I think that by talking about it so openly, she helped other people feel comfortable talking about it. In 2003, Tyra scored on TV with her gig as the host of the popular series America's Next Top Model. Tyra decided it was time to retire from modeling. In 2005, she began working as the host and executive producer of her own talk show, Tyra. Her transition from the runway to the talk show world was a resounding success. Like her idol, Oprah Winfrey, she was named one of Time Magazine's most influential people in 2007. Though America was in love with Tyra, the former model became the target of the paparazzi when less than flattering photos of her looking overweight appeared. Instead of shying away from the controversy, she went on her television show on national TV and said, here's that picture, I'm going to show it again. And she actually came out wearing the swimsuit and she was like, this is my body, this is who I am. I am a normal sized woman. I'm not anorexic, that's not who I am. And so you can kiss my fat ass. In 2008, she took home her first daytime Emmy. Tyra has achieved her dreams by believing in herself and working hard. It's an example she hopes the women who look up to her will follow. 
Tyra has this incredibly inspirational message, which is that, you know, no matter what age you are, or what race, or what shape, what size, that you should embrace yourself. This Black History Month programming is sponsored by Representative Steve Casey, reminding you that Black artists evolved from blues and jazz in the 1940s to soul music in the 1950s. From soul music came Motown and then hip-hop, disco, and rap. Artists like Duke Ellington paved the way for the Supremes, Jimi Hendrix, Prince, and Michael Jackson. Representative Steve Casey celebrating Black History Month through Black Musical Excellence. Today's program also brought to you by Chamberlain Business Accounting, 601 Great Road, North Smithfield. The accountant for your current business or your new startup business. Call 765-1235 for small business accounting as well as payroll and tax services to help you achieve your desired financial and business results. Again, call this number, 765-1235 for Chamberlain Business Accounting, where it all adds up. 601 Great Road, North Smithfield, proudly serving Rhode Island and Southern Massachusetts. This is WNRI's Black History Month special, the 50 most influential black music artists of all time. My name's Jeff Gamash, and we are now at number 23. It's Charlie Parker, the bird. He was born August of 1920 in Kansas City, Kansas, and he was nicknamed the bird or Yardbird, an American jazz saxophonist and composer. The bird was the most important figure in that instrument's history. Parker was also one of the first jazz artists to create truly complex and advanced compositions positions, changing the way jazz music would be created from the late 1930s onward. He acquired the nickname Yardbird early in his career on the road with Jay McShann, and this bird nickname, a shortened version, continued to be used for the rest of his life, inspiring titles of a number of his compositions, such as Yardbird Suite, Bird Gets the Worm, and Bird of Paradise. In 1942, Parker left McShann's band and played for one year with Earl Hines, whose band included Dizzy Gillespie, who later played with Parker as a duo. This period is undocumented due to the strike between 1942 and 1943 by the American Federation of Musicians, during which time few professional recordings were made. Parker joined a group of young musicians and played in after-hours clubs in Harlem. These young musicians included Gillespie, pianist Thelonious Monk, guitarist Charlie Christian and drummer Kenny Clark. The group was formed in order to challenge the practice of downtown musicians coming uptown and stealing their music. Thelonious Monk and some of the other young musicians complaining that they never get credit for what they're doing. And they did have reason to say it, but it was Monk and Charlie Parker who said, hey, let's get a big band started and let's create something they can't steal because they cannot play it and hence the complexity of jazz music. Let's listen in to Charlie Parker, the all-time great saxophonist, and his self-nicknamed titled song, The Bird.
Number 22, it's Mahalia Jackson. 
a civil rights activist, considered one of the most important figures in the history of gospel music, considered one of the most influential vocalists of the 20th century. Her career, spanning 40 years, selling an estimated 22 million records and performing in front of integrated and secular audiences in concert halls around the world. She was the granddaughter of slaves and born and raised in poverty down in New Orleans. She found a home in her church, leading to a lifelong dedication and purpose to deliver God's word through song. She moved to Chicago as an adolescent and joined the Johnson Singers, one of the earliest gospel groups. She gained nationwide recognition in 1947 with the release of Move On Up A Little Higher, selling two million copies and hitting number two on the Billboard charts. Both were first for gospel music. Her recordings captured the attention of jazz fans in the U.S. and France and became the first gospel recording artist to tour Europe. She regularly appeared on television, radio, and performed for many presidents and heads of state. She was motivated by her experiences living and touring in the South and integrating a Chicago neighborhood, participating in the civil rights movement by singing for fundraisers and at the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom in 1963. Her success brought about international interest in gospel music, initiating the golden age of gospel. Popular music as a whole felt her influence, and she is credited with inspiring rhythm and blues, soul, and rock and roll singing styles. Let's listen in to a gospel song, which became a protest song and a key anthem of the American Civil Rights Movement. It's our number 22 artist on this countdown, Mahalia Jackson. The song, We Shall Overcome. Oh, happy love. 
And we're going to finish off today at number 21. And it's Little Richard, born Richard Wayne Pennyman, December 5th, 1932. An American musician, singer, songwriter, an influential figure in popular music and culture for some seven decades. Nicknamed the innovator, the originator, and the architect of rock and roll. Tutti Frutti, 1955. One of Richard's signature songs became an instant hit, crossing over to the pop charts in both the United States and overseas in the UK. His next hit single, Long Tall Sally in 56, hit number one on the Billboard Rhythm and Blues bestsellers chart, followed by a rapid succession of 15 more hits in less than three years. His performances during this period resulted in integration between white Americans and black Americans in his audience. Little Richard was honored by many institutions, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as part of the first group of inductees in 1986. He was also inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. He was the recipient of a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Recording Academy and a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Rhythm and Blues Foundation. Tutti Frutti was included in the National Recording Registry of the Library of Congress in 2010. Here's his breakout hit, Tutti Frutti, our number 21 artist, Little Richard. I'm to the food, oh
Like History Month programming on WNRI brought to you by State Representative Steve Casey. An important part of black history is the message given through music. Through the years, artists like Sam Cooke and Marvin Gaye and Billie Holiday and Ella Fitzgerald and many more were pioneers in their musical field, delivering important messages of the time. Representative Steve Casey celebrating Black History Month through music here on WNRI. Today's program also brought to you by Chamberlain Business Accounting, 601 Great Road, North Smithfield. The accountant for your current business or your new startup business. Call 765-1235 for small business accounting as well as payroll and tax services to help you achieve your desired financial and business results. Again, call this number, 765-1235 for Chamberlain Business Accounting, where it all adds up. 601 Great Road, North Smithfield, proudly serving Rhode Island and Southern Massachusetts. Well, thank you for joining us for this edition of our Black History Month series, the 50 most influential black music artists of all time. Here's what you missed today if you're just tuning in. Number 30 was Run DMC. Number 29, Lead Belly. Number 28, Nat King Cole. Number 27, The Supremes. Number 26, Bessie Smith. Number 25, Sam Cooke. Number 24, W.C. Handy. Number 23, Charlie Parker. Number 22, Mahalia Jackson. And number 21, Little Richard. Remember, if you miss any of our Top 50 Countdown, you can go to WNRI.com and get up to speed on any of the action you missed. We'll be back next week as we continue, and it's our finale of our Top 50 Most Influential Black Music Artists of All Time. Thank you for listening. My name's Jeff Gamash.